0: home for
1: breaking news on your favorite team. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630-10. Yamamoto creates for McLeod. Constant McLeod spins. Yamamoto looking for the net. Top of the left circle. Shot door. Tyler Yamamoto put it upstairs! And Edmonton takes a 5-4 lead! So that's Kyler Yamamoto's final goal as an Edmonton Oiler, April 29th. Pretty big one. Game winner in game six against the LA Kings. And Edmonton won that game to eliminate Los Angeles. But, of course, Yamamoto and Kaleem Kostin today traded to the Detroit Red Wings for future considerations. Oilers GM Ken Holland was on Oilers Now earlier today and talked about getting that deal
0: done. Well, I mean, for the last couple of weeks, basically, Bob, not necessarily just with Detroit, but I've been communicating with teams, letting them know that uh, we had um, you know, salary cap challenges. You know, I, I was kind of hoping as we went along here that you know, you'd, there was rumblings or rumors that maybe uh, the cap would be increased. Um, and ultimately, when it became um, official that the cap was 83.5, um, I had to move some people out I, in the cost of situation. Uh, really negotiating against the KHL, um, we felt his arbitration number was was at a certain upper and uh, he's uh, had some offers overseas. Um, obviously, cut three million dollars and uh, had to move out uh, some money. So basically, uh, talked to Steve here over the Heiserman over the last uh, couple of days, and and uh, really you know come up with the deal that we come up with today. All right,
1: so. Uh... Uh, that is a little bit there from Ken Holland on Oilers Now earlier today. And, of course, that show is hosted by my next guest, the insanely talented Bob Stauffer, checking in tonight. Hello, Bob.
2: Reed, I think there would be a lot of debate on insanely talented, but how are you doing? <laughs> just just go with it when I compliment you, Bob. You just got to go with okay. it. No, I'm doing great. How are things with you? Uh, not bad. I mean, it's been a – it's been – I mean, one of the things that I think... It's interesting in terms of the evaluation of the body of work of Ken Holland, right? Because the Oilers have the eighth best record in the NHL since Ken's been the GM. Since uh, Jay Woodcroft uh, got the promotion back on February the 10th, the Oilers have had the second best record in the league. And they've done so in a period in which the cap has basically... Been flat. It's gone from 81.5 to 83.5 over the five years that Ken Holland's had to work with uh, on on Canada Day, and you and me are going to be doing uh, courtesy of Contract Equipment Limited. We're going to do our free agent frenzy show coming up on Saturday with uh, Cam Moon and the cast of thousands. That'll include Jack Michaels and John Shannon and others. And read, I mean. <laughs> It, when you think about what Edmonton's been able to add in terms of players like Zach Hyman and uh, Evander Kane, which were basically free agency ads, you know, they, they've improved the team a bit. And it's, uh, so, But all that being said, both Yamamoto and Kostin had moments as Oilers, so I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, I think in Yamamoto's case, we need to keep an eye tomorrow at 10 o'clock because I'm not 100% convinced that this for Detroit wasn't really about going out and getting Clem hmm And Detroit's in a position where they can pay Clint in $2 million a year on a you know, two-year term, and the Oilers simply couldn't, not with where Coston was going to potentially slot in their lineup. And so, uh, you know, theoretically here, Reid, I don't know if you discussed it on the show, but there is an outside chance Detroit may end up buying Yama out at one-third, Yamamoto out at one-third, and 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 really the key to the acquisition for them is, is getting Klim Kostin to come in and be a third-line left wing.
1: Okay, I, I'm glad you brought that up, because that's interesting, because, well, I, I'll, I'll save the second part. The, so, but Holland basically said, though, every, everything I read into what Holland said, not just with you earlier today, but a couple of – well, he was on with you twice. He said it earlier, and then he did a, a, a scrum, uh, I think, on Tuesday – it sounds like Costen's unlikely to be in North America. So how does... Yeah, well, maybe I, we're speculating. How do we think that Steve Eiserman's going to be the one who makes him stay? Just pay, give him that much more money Steve that Eisen the Oilers won't?
2: 100% rate. It's okay. that simple. So Steve Eiserman can pay him $2 million. Claim Costen has a very... Uh, he's got arbitration rights, and he's got a very compelling case. Okay? And we have seen good players not... Tomorrow, the Nashville Predators are only going to tender offers on uh, two of nine pending RFAs. Like, they just picked up Cal Foot in that massive deal that they did for Tanner's, you know. They're letting Cal Foot walk. That's, that's, you know, and part of it has to do with, you know, qualifying offers and those sort of things. So, Costin's Arb case was above the price point that the Oilers felt that they could pay him. Okay, and for Edmonton, I mean, for our listeners, they're smart enough to know this was about getting. This is how tight it is for the Oilers. It was going to be four eighty-eight and five eighty-eight over two years in the buyout for Yamamoto. This is this is getting outside of the Yamamoto money. Like if Connor Yamamoto was making nine hundred thousand dollars, he'd still be an Edmonton. Oh
1: sure, or if the or as but, Ken said, if the, the cap reality had gone is gone up, right.
2: that They can't afford him. They can't afford him at three. So. I'm, I'm going to be intrigued to see whether or not Detroit actually offers a buyout. Uh, ends up buying out Yamamoto. Well, I mean, they easily can keep them. They've got lots of cap space. And frankly, I think Detroit, everybody thought the, Detroit was in on Alex Dobrikit or Mark Shifley. And I think Detroit, like Steve Eisman is, is used to dealing from a stacked deck. Because that's what he inherited when he took over from Brian Lawton in Tampa. Brian went and got his two best players, and then Al Murray, who just found out about 15 minutes ago, he's not continuing in Tampa Bay's organization. Al Murray hit on a whole bunch of picks rounds two through seven in Tampa and built that team into an absolute powerhouse. And now Julian Breezeball is in there, and he's ruthless. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Eiserman's case, since going to Detroit the last five years, Iserman was the GM for four of them. Reed, the Red Wings have the worst record in the NHL during that time. So they've, they've been very deliberate in their approach. So anyways, I'm in, tr- like, in terms of cost, and absolutely Detroit can pay him more than Edmonton. The orders were too hard-pressed against the cap. And that's why... And Costin, the, the price point that Edmonton was probably probably prepared to go to was less than what he could net. Playing in the KHL, and that's where it differs for him. If his rights get traded to Detroit, yeah,
1: okay, yeah, and that'll be interesting to follow with uh, with Yamamoto. So you may have stuff about that on your show tomorrow. And then if he's uh, out, it's not. Is is there even a snowball's chance he comes back here for less? <laughs> like, are we talking about welcome back, Yabo?
2: I don't know about that. No comment from Bob? Uh, I mean, I think that would be a long shot. Right. Never say never. Okay. For the first thing that's going to... We're talking about a player that's currently property of another club. I just wonder in the back of my mind with Detroit, whether or not this all along was about getting cost. Right. Which is... And now, they can, easy, they, they can easily absorb one year at $3 million on on Yamamoto. They might not want to. They might want to make another strategic move and be bigger players in free agency. So they get cost and done. They say they get cost and done at 175 times 2. The orders could not do that. Edmonton could not do that. By the way, the tax rate for players in the KHL, just so the listeners know, is about 15. That's five percent uh, The tax rate for NHL players would be north of 43%. Right. So... That's a
1: big I, that's, difference. That's a, a big, that's a big difference. I don't know what the ruble translates though to the dollar. Do they still use rubles? I don't even know. I think <laughs> I don't. They might even use euros. They might to be use euros now. So it's just interesting to me. I, the,
2: no, no, go ahead, Bob. That's okay. No, you were gonna say what was interesting. Well, to
1: what's you? interesting to me is that, and I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but you and I do that sometimes. It, it's interesting to me, Detroit, and I guess GMs and scouts sometimes have their guys. Okay, so I'm wondering, did they like Kostin that much when the Oilers got got him from St. Louis? I, I would assume probably not, unless St. Louis didn't want to make a trade with Detroit. And then, like, we saw Costin be extremely effective at times and then not so good at other times and, and we saw he was often the first guy to get his ice time cut if Woody was shorting the bench I mean he had some games he played three, four, five minutes and, and you know sometimes yes. we talked about should he play more but he, sometimes he didn't manage the puck well in the neutral zone so I'm wondering what Detroit thinks they're going to turn him into that he hasn't already become I guess is where I'm going
2: so this is going to this is going to sound a little bit like an euter centric perspective. First of all, with Detroit, they could have claimed, claimed costs and on, on waivers when St. Louis put them on waivers. They elected not to. That's remember the trade. Samarukov and Kostin basically were put on waivers. One I forget which guy went on waivers, but one day after another, and then the two and, and people go, well, why didn't they just trade them? Well, by putting them on waivers and having them clear, they could assign them to the minors. And get them both down so one way to look at the situation that happened here is the Edmonton Oilers used Dmitry Samarukov to get out of undercutter Yamamoto and in the process have a you know a season worth of clean costs and where he scored double digit goals I mean he did become a bit of a cult favorite if hmm. your perspective is Edmonton should have played him more and I love the fact that he stepped up and fought and they should have you know they should have paid two million a year I mean you're 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 allowed to have that perspective. I had no problem with Costen being on the team at 1.25, but once you get north of that, for me, it was going to be problematic, given how tight. And again, Ken mentioned the 83.5 million dollar cap instead of an 84 or 85 million dollar cap. Those things matter, and the, the reality is, cap space is weaponized, and the owners needed to clear every possible cent that they could. So they basically, I think, they used the Costin, uh rights. To move out Yamamoto. That's how I interpreted the actions of the day.
1: Are, are we heading more? You and I talked about a little bit during the playoffs because obviously the Oilers played Vegas, but you know we're we're caught up in that series. I mean, Vegas drafts virtually no one. <laughs> to, like, that's uh, virtually no one. They, what, they had one draft pick on their team. We saw what the Oilers and some other teams did with trades. Are we moving towards, uh, I don't know if you read, uh, Cam Sharon wrote some stuff yesterday about draft picks and that he thinks a lot of guys' draft picks are overvalued. Like, are, are we moving towards, um, It's I don't know if it's going to be quite like what we saw in the Western Hockey League this past year with the, the go-get-it teams trading away a lot of draft picks, but are we, do you think we're going to lean more that way in hockey, where a team in a contending window like the Oilers might only have two or three draft picks per year?
2: Um, I do not think that draft picks carry the same value as 15 years ago in the NHL. And I think what's happened is cap space has been weaponized. And part of the issue is how much you have to play players in second contracts. I mean, again, if, if Yessa Yarvi, and Kyler Yamamoto were being paid a million, a million and a half bucks... I mean, it's kind of crazy, Reed, when you think last summer we were watching those two RFA's, wondering how they would get settled. And again, what, what, to answer your question, yes, I think that good teams you don't you don't need draft picks because you have high-end players, and if you're a good team, as a rule of thumb. And then it's an the owners are in a completely different position, as we might find out Saturday, in terms of the procurement of players. Like, in, in the summer of 2007, they're sending out a DVD of why Edmonton's great. And, you know, I was doing a show at Edmonton at that time and went in the office to watch this, and I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work. Right. And fast <laughs> forward to 2023, and Chris Johnson's reporting today that the Oilers are quote-unquote in the driver's seat on Connor Brown on a base bonus deal, when I know for a fact that Connor Brown can get term and a guaranteed salary. So... Uh, You know, I think guys want to win. I think the cap has changed the complexion of things. Um, That said, you still need to be able to draft and develop players. I I believe that. And I don't think, like in the 15 years, like I've worked for the Oilers for 15 years. They've had, I remember the 2010 draft. Everybody thought, they called Stu McGregor, quote unquote, the magnificent bastard after that draft. And it did not come to fruition. Taylor Hall was has been a really good NHLer, but Reed, I mean, Tyler Pitlick, basically a fourth line player his entire career. Mert Marincin, a number seven defenseman. Curtis Hamilton played one NHL game. Ryan Martindale never played an NHL game. It's uh, you know a, f- a number one overall pick, three second rounders, and a third round pick. And the guy the order stuck in the fourth round, they never signed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. we had all this thought that oh, they killed it the draft, and, and that's so. You know, like Tampa's done a good job draft, which is what makes the Al Murray story tonight. That's why it's caught a lot of people off guard because he was a major reason why. But I, I agree with Sharon. Like, Sharon's put some interesting stuff out. And one of the things that we're seeing from the analytics driven guys is that draft picks are overrated. I mean, read after 22nd overall. After the 22nd overall pick, and the Oilers have had some good 22nd overall picks, like Jordan they're open Borgo pants like the, out like that. Yamamoto was a 22nd overall pick. After the 22nd overall pick, it's like 18% the guy plays more than uh, 100 games on. Yep. Like yeah. Like, that's, I don't know, I think it's, it might actually be 18% that the player ends up playing in a league after the 22nd overall pick. What does that tell you? Yeah
0: yeah it's a draft shoot you're dra-
2: the other thing Reid, is you're you're drafting guys that he oh in the right like the nFL's drafting guys at 22, 23, and they're playing in division uh you know one one hundred and thirty division one programs and you have tons of film on those players and then you have a combine that allows you to you know assess player and it's the the nhl drops a way greater crapshoot because you're evaluating 18 year old players instead of 22 year old players yeah
1: that you're right i mean if the guys going to nfl it's they've all they've, it's almost like they've already played a form of pro football especially if they're coming up one of the the big programs right uh do you want to do a quiz for stoffer sure <laughs> I think it's an easy... I am easy... not in
2: front of a computer. Just no, I have, no we, we never do it.
1: Yeah, well, it's a draft one, and you're very good with the draft ones, but I sometimes I, I think, well, Bob will probably know it, but maybe he'll have a funny story, or it'll just bring back some random memory. Uh, in 2003, I, I know you've told the story a lot about Kyle Brodziak and what you thought of him. When he was going to be picked, or when he was picked by the Oilers. The Oilers actually selected three players after Brodziak in 2003. Two of them played in the NHL.
2: Who were they? Are you serious? Because they got Brodziak in the seventh round of the draft. Yes,
1: they took another player in the seventh round. Then they took a guy in the eighth round who who did not play in the NHL. And then they took a guy in the ninth round.
2: Was Troy Hesketh the guy they took in the eighth round? No, oh,
1: you're. Uh, no, the eighth rounder was. G- well, it might have been Yosef actually, Yosef Hrabel. He did not make the NHL. Okay, who they? T- who's?
2: The, I don't know who the other two guys were. They they took in the seventh, and then after.
1: Uh, well, I got to give you. I'll give, I'll give you a hint. The the guy who the other one they took in the seventh round did play for. The Oilers. He also played for Columbus and Tampa Bay, 66 NHL games uh, out of Val d'Or. 6'2, 208. First name starts with an M. Uh, shares a last name with a very, very famous French goaltender.
2: Um, it's
1: Matthew, okay, Matthew Waugh.
2: Waugh. You got Defense that one. Matthew Waugh, he was, a real, he was a really good fighter for a guy that was mid-sized. Surprisingly good fighter.
1: Okay, now the other guy in the ninth round, he played 159 games in the NHL, did not play for the Oilers, played as recently as 14-15, and I honestly played don't remember. He for
2: Rockets and Jr.? Yes. Troy Bode. Troy
1: I Bode, 6'5", 226.
2: He's a pro scout. Yeah, he's a pro scout for the Maple Leafs.
1: And uh, I, I don't even remember him playing in the NHL. It was only eight years ago. <laughs> Well, he didn't play a ton. So anyway, but you were, it's okay, so that one actually was a good one because you, you were you were a little like, wait a minute, where are you going with this?
2: All right. Joseph Rabble
1: did not well, play a I game. Well, I mean, the,
2: you know, I, I did a. Sh- I was on the other station at that time and did a show, but we only did the first round. And, you know, it's funny with the body of work of Kevin Pendergrass. Because, and again, I don't know who influenced what for the first round picks, because a lot of times, Kevin Lowe was the general manager. Mac T. had a lot of input as a head coach. And all I'm going to say is, in fairness to KP's body of work over the years, the Oilers had success from two, you know, he took over from Barry Fraser. Barry, God rest his soul, hit the home run in the late 70s, early 80s, wasn't as effective later on in his scouting career. But in, in fairness to KP, he, he did a pretty decent job after round one. The problem is the Oilers missed on a ton of guys in the first round. Uh, Stu McGregor's body of work, uh, I would say Stu, you know, hits. I mean, Stu basically dra- he drafted Hall. He drafted, it started with Everly. He drafted Everly, he drafted uh, P.R.V. He drafted Hall. He drafted Nuge. He drafted Yakupov. Even though there's always been some debate on that, that's just a terrible draft year. So Troy Heske's 2012 draft is
1: right, and Hesketh was 2009. Hesketh was a
2: third rounder, right? Yes, oh nine. Was he a third rounder? Yeah. Yes. That was that was the year they took uh, who is the big tough guy that they took out of Everett, Cam Abney. Oh, right. They took him, and they had a they had a real rough draft in oh nine. I was at that draft in Montreal and they got uh, Lander after PRV, and I think they took uh, yeah they it was it was not a great trap for the Edmonton owners. I mean you look at you know what happened in 2011 2012 in the second rounds I mean uh, now, they got in, in 2011, or the first round, they got Nugent Hopkins and they got Clefbaum. Right. Like, that's a great draft for the Oilers. But they took Museal, obviously, in 2011, and then they took Mitch Moraz. I think the same thing that happened to Arizona yesterday on their first pick, where they were concerned the Canucks were going to take that guy. And at 11, and they had the 12th pick, so they took the Russian D-man at 6. I think that's what happened with Mitch Mraz. I think the Oilers thought Montreal was going to draft him late in the second, so they said, screw it, and they took Mitch Mraz. And he, you know, he struggled to play in the American League, let alone the NHL.
1: Bob, this was uh, very fun as always. I think I'm going to see it tomorrow, so that'll be fun. And oh, Saturday, we're going to see course? each other two days in a row.
2: Reed, uh, you could. Uh, buy, you're coming in at. Uh, let's see. I've got Tyler right at one o'clock. So you're coming in at one thirty. Can you bring a drink for me?
1: Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, alcoholic or non-alcoholic. No, no, no. I'll bring a drink <laughs> for you on Saturday. It's, about a, time. it's fine. Okay. We can Thanks work it out. Reed Appreciate it, Bob. On. That's always fun to have Bob Stauffer on uh, Inside Sports. Love chatting with him. Okay. Uh, We're going to get to the news and the weather. Uh, we'll get some of your feedback, and you'll hear more from the Oilers' second-round pick.